0: Do you persecute me? Who are you? I am Jesus, whom you persecute. You'll be told what to do. Okay, if you'd like to pull your notes out for today's message or turn on your app, if you use a phone or iPad or device of some sort, uh, we'd like to welcome all of you here and those of you that are watching us online. Thank you for joining us. You're very important and we're, we're happy to have you a part of our service this morning. In the most recent showing of the uh, series AD uh, last Sunday night, Saul, who had been the, the great persecutor of, of early church uh, believers, uh, he, 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 had, he was a hater of early church believers. I, if you recall, last week we talked about that, how he went around imprisoning and killing many of the believers of uh, the early church back in the first century. Now, last week, a miracle has happened. Saul himself, who had opposed the church has been converted to jesus christ he's on his way to damascus a city where he's going to hunt down more christians and kill them and on his way there the lord jesus reveals himself to him in a most miraculous way knocks him down to the ground, and uh, blinds him for a period of three days. And during that time, he's seeking God, and he comes to the realization of his need of Christ, that Jesus Christ is really the Messiah, and he commits his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And the thing that just caught my attention IN NOT ONLY THE FILM LAST WEEK, BUT ALSO IN READING THE SCRIPTURES, BECAUSE IT'S REINFORCED THERE, IS THE, the uh, INTENSITY OF HIS COMMITMENT TO CHRIST. SO IT'S LIKE THE SAME INTENSITY HE HAD in, IN HUNTING DOWN CHRISTIANS AND KILLING THEM, HE IS NOW SHOWING IN HIS LOVE FOR JESUS AND HIS COMMITMENT TO GETTING THE MESSAGE OUT. IN FACT, WE FIND HIM SHORTLY AFTER HIS CONVERSION, RIGHT INTO THE SYNAGOGUE, SHARING AND TEACHING IN THE NAME OF JESUS and he's doing it with great enthusiasm and he's doing it with great passion. You know, one of the comments that I I hear from time to time from people who come from what I would maybe call a religiously ritualistic or formalistic kind of a background is the amount of joy and the amount of enthusiasm for God that that they see in the people here at Life Church. When they come in and they worship with us and they see the joy that you have and they see hand raised and they see us standing and they see us clapping hands with the music and and everything, you know, they, they are taken by that. It captures their attention and I will tell you that some of them are uncomfortable with it. In fact, they will come up to me. I've had them tell me that it's not necessary. We don't need to be that way. We don't need to be clapping, we don't need the standing, we don't need the, uh, the shouting, you know, we don't need the raising of hands, all unnecessary. Several months ago, uh, a young Christian man, I would say in his early 20s, brought his girlfriend up to the front to talk with me after service, and uh, he had been coming for several weeks, maybe three, four, really liked the church, but he wanted her to come too, and so he brought her up and he says to me, I brought my girlfriend for the first time, she doesn't like it, but you need to tell her why she needs to like it. (laughs) So I said, okay. So I began to quiz her about uh, her background. Well, I found out that she came from one of these real uh, formalistic kind of religions, you know, and she'd been all tied into that. And she comes here and she sees all this clapping and the raising of hands and everything. And uh, so I said to her, all right, uh, tell me, uh, how did you like the music? Because figuring she's in her early 20s, she's probably gonna like the music, you know. And because we get that a lot from young people, we, like, we really like the music here, you know? And so I figured she'd say, oh, I love that. I just didn't like you. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> but she's, she says, no, I didn't like it. And that really surprised me. I said, well, I, I'm real surprised by that because most people your age really do like our music and our worship style. And that's when she told me very bluntly, she said, all of the clapping and the standing AND THE RAISING OF THE HANDS, AND and THE SHOUTING, AND ALL OF THAT, IT'S NOT NECESSARY. THAT'S NOT GOOD. WE DON'T NEED THAT. AND I SAID, OKAY, WELL, THEN WHAT DO YOU DO WITH SCRIPTURES LIKE PSALM 47, VERSE 1, WHICH SAYS, CLAP YOUR HANDS, ALL ye PEOPLE, SHOUT UNTO GOD WITH THE VOICE OF TRIUMPH. I DON'T KNOW WHAT THE HEBREW... WELL, I DO. I LOOKED UP THE HEBREW WORD, WHICH WE TRANSLATE from to get the word English word shout. And the Hebrew word literally means shout. <laughs> you know, so Carrie and I are over at Buffalo Wild Wings yesterday having lunch. If you've ever been there, it's not the quietest place to have lunch, you know, but we got there a little bit early and there weren't that many people there. And it was actually fairly quiet in there. And so I said, hey, this will be good. So we sat down. There's only a few more families in there and everything's pretty quiet. Got the TVs going all around and everything. So we're eating our buffalo wild wings, all right? And um, why do they call a chicken a buffalo? Never mind. Anyway, (laughs) buffalo wings, I don't know, chicken. I I never have understood that. Anyway... So we're eating our buffalo wild wings here, calmly just having a good conversation and everything, and we notice that a bunch of people are coming in with kind of uniforms on. What I began to realize was these were soccer uniforms. Now, I think that soccer is one of the boringest games in the world. I, I got to tell you, you know, I am a football fan, not a soccer fan. And Marco, he loves, Pastor Marco loves soccer, you know, but I'm not a fan of soccer. I don't even understand it. I don't like it. I don't watch it or anything. But apparently it was the, um, what do you call it? the what cup, the World Cup. That's what they call it, isn't it? Yeah, is that what it was? Preparation. Preparation for the World Cup. All right, see, I'm thinking we're already there. And um, so anyway, all these people have come in and they've got, now all the TVs are on this World Cup preparation game, all right, and it's it's Argentina and Kathmandu or something. I don't know what it is, you know, I don't pay any attention to it. And so we're eating and all of a sudden, yeah! You know, every, all these people jump up, yeah, yeah. And I said to Carrie, somebody must have scored. <laughs> I'm a very perceptive individual, you know, and, and I look up at the TV and sure enough, one of the teams had, had scored. I think it was Kathmandu. They scored, you know, and, um, and so they sit back down again. And I said, whoa, that, I mean, about gave me a heart attack, you know, every, and so we're eating again, and <laughs> I'm you know, and all like this. And they sit back down and and everything. And I finally said to Carrie, let's hurry up and get out of here while we still have hearts that beat, you know. So we scooted on out because we couldn't talk to each other anymore after that. This place is a riot. Um, Now, some of you will sit there and say to me, now that's okay at Buffalo Wild Wings, but it's not okay at church. God would differ with you about that. God would say that he wants you to love him as much as you love the team at Kathmandu." And then I said to her, well, what do you do with Psalm 107 that says again, shout praises to the Lord. I'll move along quickly. Psalm 113 verse one, shout praises to the Lord. Again, it." Everyone who serves him, come and praise his name. That means if you're having a good day, bad day, doesn't matter, everything going your way, everything not going your way, you still shout praises unto God, doesn't matter. And I'm even reminded that when we studied back in Acts chapter three about the lame man getting healed by Peter, well the Lord through Peter and John, when he got healed, what did he do? He started jumping and leaping and praising God. That doesn't sound do- docile to me. That doesn't sound inhibited to me. He got with it because of the miracle that had happened in his life. Now, I know that the Bible, and some of you will say, yes, but God's word says in Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. My response to that would be, for every one time we are told to be still, the Bible tells us scores of times to be joyful and exuberant in our praise unto God. So I asked her, after I shared the scriptures with her, I said, what do you do with scriptures like that, that tell us to shout and to clap and and to raise our hand, do all of these things unto the Lord? And she told me, I said, what do you do with those kind of scriptures? She says, well, I, I reinterpret them. And I said, okay, so what you're saying to me is that if you ever run across a scripture that you don't like, you reinterpret it to make it say what you like and she didn't respond my point is here that god has done if god has done something great in your life you should want to share it you should want to share it with god first in great praise unto him and you should want to share it with others who don't know about jesus in fact jesus told a story to a jewish pharisee once by the name of simon kind of talking about this very thing. It's over in Luke chapter 7, verses 41 through 43. And he said there was a man who loaned some, uh, two other men some money. And to the one man, he gave him 500 uh, bags of silver. And to the other, he gave him 50 bags of silver. Through the course of time, neither one of them could pay him back. And so this very benevolent uh, loan man, loan officer, forgave the loan for both of them. And 500 pieces of silver, by the way, was, a, was more than a year's wages. So it's a significant amount of money. And he forgave them both. The man with 500 bags of silver, the man with 50 bags of silver. And so then Jesus says to Simon, Simon, who do you suppose loved that man the most? And Simon says, well, I suppose it was the guy who was forgiven the most. And Jesus says, you are exactly right. And then he gives us a very important principle here in verse 47, he says, I tell you her sins, and he's talking about this woman who came in and lovingly anointed Jesus with her tears and with, uh, rubbing him with his feet with her hair and putting perfume on him. And she says, and, and Simon was complaining about it. Okay, that's what started all of this. And he says, "I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love." Okay. Now, how do you judge what is be, whether you've been forgiven a lot or a little? How do you judge that? How much sin does it take to send you to hell? Only one. Only one. AND I DOUBT THAT ANY PERSON IN THIS ROOM COULD SAY I'VE NEVER SINNED. NOT EVEN ONCE. I DOUBT ANYBODY COULD. IF ONLY ONE SIN sends YOU TO HELL, SEPARATES YOU FROM GOD, THEN I WOULD SAY THAT NO MATTER WHAT WE HAVE DONE IN OUR LIVES, WE HAVE ALL BEEN FORGIVEN MUCH. WE'VE BEEN FORGIVEN MORE THAN WE CAN EVEN UNDERSTAND HOW MUCH WE HAVE BEEN FORGIVEN. IN OTHER WORDS, WHAT JESUS IS SAYING HERE IS THAT ALL OF US HAVE HAD A DEBT BEFORE GOD THAT NONE OF US COULD PAY, AND JESUS PAID IT FOR US, SO WE HAVE ALL BEEN FORGIVEN THIS HUGE DEBT, HUGE DEBT. HERE'S WHAT I'VE, I've OBSERVED IN LIFE. SOME PEOPLE GET THAT AND SOME PEOPLE DON'T. SOME PEOPLE THINK THAT GOD, THEY CAN'T BELIEVE THAT GOD FORGAVE THEM. OTHER PEOPLE, THEY THINK, AH, NO BIG DEAL. God's lucky to have me." You know? And they almost kind of have that attitude. And what I have noticed is that people who get it, people who understand how much they've been forgiven, they tend to love God with great extravagance. They praise God with great extravagance. They show God's, their, their love for God in the way they live their lives out there in the world with great extravagance. Some people would call them fanatics. BUT YOU KNOW WHAT A FANATIC IS? A FANATIC IS SIMPLY A PERSON WHO IS MORE COMMITTED THAN YOU ARE. THAT'S WHAT WE TEND TO CALL PEOPLE WHO ARE FANATICS. They, THE PERSON WHO'S A LITTLE MORE COMMITTED THAN YOU ARE, I ah, is A FANATIC, BECAUSE I WANT TO STAY THE WAY I AM. BUT PEOPLE WHO LOVE GOD DEEPLY, and are appreciative of what God has done. They, they show it in the way they praise him. They show it in the way they, they love him. They show it in the way that they're committed to him. And it is also my opinion that most Christian churches in America have allowed the people who don't get it to dictate to the people who do get it, and they try to keep the, the service calm and sedate and, and unimpassioned because we don't want it to get out of control. But when you have been radically saved by God, nobody can keep that under control. There is an appreciation and a love for God that's got to come out, like a volcano spewing all over. This is what God has done for me, for my life. And, and you know what? Saul was radically saved. He wasn't just a good guy who added Jesus to his already good life. He was a terrible, murderous, religious fanatic that that God transformed and brought into faith in Christ. He was radically saved. And the same passion that drove him to hunt down Christians and arrest Christians and imprison Christians and, 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 and persecute and torture and even kill Christians, the same passion that led him to do that now was in his heart for Christ and he was going everywhere he could to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there he goes right into the synagogue talking to him about Jesus and everybody's going, ay, ay, ay. Let's read about it. Acts 9, 19 through 31. Afterward, Saul ate some food and regained his strength. This is after he was healed from his blindness. And Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused the devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They ask, and didn't he come here to arrest them and to take him to chains to leading priests? uh, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So after a while, some of them plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate. AND SO THEY COULD MURDER HIM. BUT SAUL WAS TOLD ABOUT THEIR PLOT, SO DURING THE NIGHT, SOME OF THE OTHER BELIEVERS LOWERED HIM IN A LARGE BASKET THROUGH THE OPENING IN THE CITY WALL, AND WHILE SAUL Uh, Arrived in Jerusalem, when he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe he had really become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some of the Greek speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. And when the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. And the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became, a, it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. All right, so what can we take away from this story that applies to us today? I think there's three things that I want to share with you this morning. Number one, I think it's important that we understand that when God does something great in our lives, we need to let other people know about it. We need to share that. We just can't keep that to ourselves. Acts uh, chapter 9, verses 19-20 says that Saul immediately began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is indeed the Son of God. That the thing that catches me is he he immediately immediately started to do this. You know, sometimes we get to think, well, I got to be saved for, for like uh, six months or something before I can share Christ with anybody. But all God asks you to do is be a witness for him. He doesn't ask you to know every detail, to be able to refute every argument. He just says, be my witness. You know what a witness is, don't you? A witness is someone who shares what they know. That's all you do as a witness. Uh, like a few years ago when we lived in Colorado, I was... Um, I was subpoenaed in a case. And so I was, I was brought into the courtroom and I was sworn in and I sat down and they asked me to tell them only what I knew. They didn't want me to talk about what I'd heard about from other people or what I thought I might know. Only what I specifically knew was I to, to give testimony of, which is what I did. That's what a witness is. A witness is simply telling what you know. You say, well, what if they ask a question I can't answer? You don't have to go there. You simply talk about what you know. And, and so all you can say is, you know, I don't know what the answer is to that right now. All I can tell you is once I was blind and now I can see. All I can tell you is once I was in despair and now I've got hope. All I can tell you is once I was in chains and bondage to drugs and alcohol and sex and stuff, and now I've been set free. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. This is what God has done for me. And they can never argue your testimony because nobody can say to you, no, that didn't happen to you. Nobody can say that didn't happen to you. It did happen to you. You're living proof of it. And what you then say to him is, if if he did it for me, he can do it for you. That's being a witness. That's telling what you know. And that's what Saul was doing. He was telling what he knew. He was sharing what God had done for him. He was sharing about this vision he had on the way to Damascus and this transformation in his soul that has taken place. His blindness, his healing from blindness, these were all dramatic and very knowable things. And he shared what he knew with everybody who would listen to him. Have you ever heard... And I hear this periodically on the news media from other people and stuff. They'll say, well, you know, religion is supposed to be a personal thing. And you're supposed to keep your religion to yourself. Don't be out there sharing it with us. A, a, it's, a, it's a uniquely personal thing. So, your religion, keep it to yourself. Well, you know, that is not what God thinks. God never told us to keep it to ourselves. In fact, Jesus said, go into all the world and spread the gospel. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, he says, you are to be the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Of course not. You wouldn't do that, that's what the world wants to do. Okay, light your light, that's fine, but put a basket over it so nobody sees the light coming out because we don't wanna be bothered with your light. Jesus says, no, instead a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for everyone to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You know, I remember about seven or eight years ago, uh, the mayor of Salt Lake City made contact with our church and he says, I'd like to come and speak to your congregation. I said, Salt Lake City, I'm I'm sorry, it's West Valley City, the mayor of West Valley City, said, I want to come and I want to talk with your congregation. Whoa, okay, we don't get that request very often. Uh, What do you want to talk about? I want to commend them for what your church is doing for our community, because it's making a difference. And he came and he stood here in front of you, on this stage, and stood in front of you seven, eight years ago, and he commended this church family, and he used that very language that I just quoted there from Jesus. He said, you guys are a city on a hill. He called us, you're a city on a hill. And he said, your light is shining, and it's helping the people of West Valley City and the and the communities around. And he wanted to acknowledge Acknowledge that in front of all of us and encourage us to keep it up. That's what we need to be, not only as a church, but we need to be that as people, as individuals. God, help my light shine. I want people to know that I love Jesus. I want people to know that I live for Jesus, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it still has the power of God to save people in 2015. It's not something I'm going to keep to myself. Everybody needs to know about this. But I do have to tell you, that brings me to the next thought. We are called of God to get the word out, but don't expect everyone to like it. Everybody won't like it. It's not new. It happened for Saul too. Look at what happened to him. Verse number 23, after a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him verse 29 he he debated with some greek speaking jews but they tried to murder him that stuff's been going on forever you know in that region of the world they're always trying to kill each other you know and in fact anytime you try to bring conviction or not maybe that's not your goal but you're just sharing the truth and it brings conviction to somebody's heart they can get angry and in some cultures they take it to an extreme. Some folks won't like the fact that you're keep not keeping your your faith to yourself. They're not going to like that. You know why? Because it brings conviction to them. You know, when when you share Jesus with people that make that aren't living for Jesus that makes them feel guilty. And so they they don't like that. At And sometimes they will react wrong to you or they'll react harshly to you. But if you do it, if you share, and, and this is what I want to encourage you, that you've got to share what God has done for you because some of them will listen. And the ones who do, their lives are changed, not only if in, in this world, but for eternity. We've, we've got to get past the, the prejudice that might be out there against the message that we have, understanding that many people will commit their lives to Jesus Christ. Somebody told me about Christ, now I've got to tell other people about Christ. Each of us who know Christ as our Savior, are debtors to the Lord, and the only way you can pay the debt off is to share Christ with other people everywhere that you go, to everyone that you meet. That's what the E in Life Church stands for, L-I-F-E. E E stands specifically for the word everyone, which is our passion for the world, which is our, our passion to take the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere to everyone that we can. John 3.16 says that God loved the world so much that he sent his son so that, that, that those who accept him as Savior and Lord can, can have their lives changed, can have their eternity changed, they can be forgiven, have eternal life. And that's why the gospel is called the good news. So we've got to let that light shine out there to the world. Amen? Even if they don't like it. The third thing that I, that I learned from this portion of scripture is how much we need each other in this fight and in this battle. The more the world hates us, the more opposition we get, the more we need one another to stay strong and encouraged. Look at verse 28 of of Acts 9, it says, Saul stayed with the apostles, AND WENT ALL AROUND JERUSALEM WITH THEM, PREACHING BOLDLY IN THE NAME OF THE LORD." SO, so he's, HE'S STAYING WITH THE apostles. HE'S STAYING IN FELLOWSHIP WITH PEOPLE OF GREAT FAITH. THAT'S ELEVATING HIS FAITH. EVERYWHERE THEY GO, HE'S GOING AROUND WITH THEM. BECAUSE HERE'S THE TRUTH. THE MORE WE ARE WITH GOD'S PEOPLE, THE STRONGER WE ARE IN FAITH. BUT THE OPPOSITE OF THAT IS ALSO TRUE. THE, the LESS WE ARE WITH GOD'S PEOPLE, THE WEAKER OUR FAITH WILL BECOME. But I want you to know, it's more than just attending classes or a service. You've got to get to know people. You've got to get to know people. Just coming to a church service and staring at the back of somebody's head is, is not gonna do it for you. You've got to get to know people. In my, in my uh, New Believers class last week, I was talking to them about developing friendship and I said, you know, a great way to develop friendships in a, in a larger church is to kind of sit in the same area all the time. And then as you sit in that same area, you'll notice that other people tend to be people of habit and they'll kind of sit in the same area too. And so then you start talking to people who are around you because you sit next to each other. they have been sitting there for two months. Well, I need to find out what their name is, you know, and so you shake their hand and you find out that, that they do something that you like to do, and it builds a bond. Like, I mean, anybody ever brings up to me that they ride motorcycles, you know, oh, really, what you ride? You know, I mean, there's this immediate connection, because I ride. So there's this immediate connection that you have. And it can be anything that might connect you. It might be the age of your kids, you know, or it might be your age and their age are similar, and so you, you connect that way, whatever it might be. But that's that's an easy way to get to make new friends, and then as you get to learn each other's names and everything, you start, hey, you want to go do something? To you know, you want to you want to go? You want to take me to lunch? <laughs> <laughs> it's always an option. That's always an option, and you know what? But you, you start connecting in time with one another, and the, and that's the deal, and and. I don't see any way around this other than spending time with each other. If you're a real casual attender, I just have to tell you, you're not gonna have the connections that are gonna help you. If you ever go through a crisis or or if persecution ever really breaks out in America against us, you're not gonna have the backup that you will have if if you've made relationships with people. This new Hope House is is strong because the relationship the girls form with each other. They strengthen one another when they feel weak. That's the way God made us. And so if I I read my Bible correctly, I think that God made us to need each other. I think God made me to need you, and I think God made you to need me, and I think that's the way it's supposed to be. And you need each other And we need to develop relationship with one another because that's what keeps us strong. Um, I'm going to jump down to Acts 2, and I just want to close with this, verses 42 through 46. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to four specific things, the apostles' teaching. Um, But the one I want to highlight to you is to the fellowship. That's, That's actually the word there is koinonia, which means really bonding together. That's the best way I can put it. It means to have in common. They had, they, they had their lives in common. That's what the word fellowship means in the Greek. So they, they look at that. They devoted themselves to being together in common with one another, to sharing meals together. Look, verse 44, they met together. Uh, they shared everything. Verse 46, they worshiped together. They met in homes. They shared their meals together. And the Lord added, to their number every day people getting saved because of this and so that's why it's important that we when when we are together we are better we are stronger and, and not just in a church service this is the starting. this is kind of the launching pad for relationships but you got to do this for yourself I can't do it for you You have to be willing to do this for yourself. Now, some of you are by nature very outgoing. You don't have any problem. You've got a thousand friends. But some of you by nature are more withdrawn, and it's more of a challenge. But God's call for us to connect with one another is just as strong, whether you're more of a withdrawn person or more of an outgoing person. God calls all of us to connect together because we are going to need each other. And the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, the more you're going to need your brothers and sisters in Christ and the love of God shared through your brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to LifeChurchUtah.com.